We're so glad that you are checking out this sermon from New Beginnings. Our vision as a church is to become an authentic biblical community that transforms our city and impacts the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do this through gathering in worship, growing through community, giving to the kingdom, and going on mission. We know that one of the greatest blessings of the church is getting to pursue this vision that God has given us together. My hope is that we would get the opportunity to connect with you in person and get you plugged into the life of our church. Also, if you have been blessed by the ministries of New Beginnings, we ask that you would consider supporting us financially. You can do so by clicking on the giving tab of our website, nvbctx.org. I pray that you are both encouraged and challenged by the scripture today. I'm going to ask you to grab your Bibles. I'm going to jump right in this morning. We've got some things that I want to talk about um, that really are kind of difficult things to hear. So Matthew chapter 10 is where we're going to be this week and next week. We'll bite off a part of it this week and next week. We'll bite another part of it as we continue our series um, uh, called A Call to Die. We, we've kind of heard from, from the, the scriptures and the story already uh, of, of this call of following Jesus and how Jesus says in week one, we saw the cost. And he says, listen, if anyone, anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and what? And follow me. So we see that there's this cost of dying to self, of, of no longer living for us, that, that we've got to be willing to let go of our life in order to actually find life. But if we, if we try to hold on to our life, we will actually lose our life. And then we, we saw in week two that there's this, this, this uh, call to follow Jesus. Jesus goes to uh, the disciples uh, uh, in, in, in Matthew chapter 4, uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John, and he, they're fishing and he comes up and he says, hey, come follow me. And I'll make you fishers of what? Fishers of men. And it says immediately they left their, their nets and their boats and their father, their family, and they followed him. And we just kind of discovered that when Jesus calls us, he's calling us to a mission. That mission is to go and to reach the world uh, by the gospel and through the gospel. But we've got to leave uh, those things that we love in order to, to follow him and that, that demands an immediate response. Then we looked at the, the rest of the disciple. That Jesus makes this announcement for those that are, that are tired, you're weary, and you're beat down with religion and effort and failure and all the struggles of life. Come to me and you'll find what you're longing for, which is rest for the soul. And we saw that what we find in Jesus is this rest that we can finally, the word we use was exhale. We can finally exhale because we know that we stand in the righteousness of Jesus, that we now have been restored to God on the basis of Jesus' righteousness, and now we can rest from trying to find favor in God's presence in our own effort. Anybody thankful for that? And then last week, we saw the love of a disciple. And that really we, we kind of use the phrase, the irreducible minimum. Like what is at the basics of, of what Jesus is calling us to do? The very fundamental bottom shelf, what is it that he's calling us to do? And it's simply to love God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, and then love our neighbor as ourselves. That we would love God completely and then we would love others genuinely. And so we've kind of been tracking through this, this whole call, this, this idea of following Jesus and have seen all of these different marks along the way, but we're going to become, kind of come to a, a definitive moment in the series where Jesus is going to say some very difficult things that we desperately need to hear. 
Matthew chapter 10 is in the middle of, or really the, the, the section we're going to jump in in verse 16 in a moment, is in the middle of what is called the second major discourse of Jesus, the second major sermon of Jesus. The first big sermon of Jesus is what's known as the Sermon on the, sermon on the Mount, where Jesus kind of unpacks, this is what my kingdom looks like, and this is what it looks like to have your lives re- reordered and the value system change, and you're going you're gonna to live differently, and this is how you're going to live. So we see this Sermon on the Mount, this, this idea of kingdom life. Well, the second major sermon is found in chapter 10. We're not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to read a portion of it. I want to make sure we get the context. At the end of chapter 9 of Matthew, there is this this observation that Jesus makes, his heart is broken over all the lostness around him. And then he makes the statement. He says, the fields are ready. The fields, the har- our harvest is ready. The problem is we don't have enough laborers in the field for all the harvest that's ready. And then Jesus says, so he makes this observation, hey, there are lost people ready to come know me. The problem is we don't have enough people in the fields out there telling them about me. And so we need to do something. He says, let's pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the field. And I love this because he says to the disciples, hey, we need more people to go, but before you go, let's pray and ask God to do something. Let's ask God to send people. And then he gets into chapter 10, and it says he summoned the disciples. And the word summoned here is the idea of, think about maybe a a basketball coach or a football coach right before the game, or maybe at halftime, and he knows the game is going to be a battle. He knows it's going to just kind of be just a dogfight to the end, and he kind of summons the team together, and he gives them a charge, right? He says, this is what we're going to go do. This is what we're about. This is the challenge that's ahead of us, and I'm calling us. Let's get out there, right? So think about maybe that type of a speech or, or a military general getting his troops together, saying, you know, the battle's going to be hard, but this is our objectives, and so let's go conquer. So th- this idea is that Jesus gathered the disciples, and he says, I'm going to send you. And this, don't, don't miss this. In chapter 9, he says, hey, the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Let's pray to the Lord of the harvest. In chapter 10, he says, good news for you. God answered our prayers. I'm sending you, right? Here's the thing. You realize today that you, in many occasions, are the answer to the prayer that you're praying? Then how, how many of you would raise your hand and you'd say, you've got lost friends and family around you that you want to see them come to know Jesus and you pray for them regularly? Lift up your hand. Some of you are afraid to lift your hand because you know where this thing is going, right? (laughs) Could it be that you are the answer to the prayer that God is going to send you? And so this is what we find in the story. And so Jesus is going to tell them, hey, this is the mission. He's going to send them out. This is kind of the first time. This is a part of the discipleship training. Um, Jesus is going to send them out. And so he gives them uh, specific orders and this commissioning, and he's going to send them out. And then we get into verse 16, where Jesus begins to help us understand the consequences of being obedient to following Jesus where he is sending us. And we're going to see this this morning that Jesus is going to be very, very honest with the disciples and say, listen, suffering and persecution is going to be a part of the life of the disciple." That there is no bait and switch with Jesus. He's going to be honest and say, listen, th- this is where I'm sending you, and I want to kind of inform you about the conditions you're going to find when you go. So Jesus is very honest about where he's sending them and what's going to happen to them when he sends them. So I want you to just look, if you would. Look at verse 16, the very first part of this. He begins to, to share this with them. He says, behold, 
I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Now, I want you to stop and think about this for a moment. Jesus is describing the life of a disciple, the life on mission, and this is the description. This is the comparison he's going to use. It's going to be like sheep going into the midst of wolves. Now, just, just think about this for a moment. Like the relationship between sheep and wolves is not a healthy relationship. Anybody understand that? Like there, there is this great chasm between sheep and wolves. In fact, wolves do not have friends that are sheep. The sheep have a name by wolves, and that name is dinner, right? It's supper. And he says, this is what the life of a disciple is. It's sheep among wolves, sheep going into the midst of wolves. Wolves have one agenda when it comes to a sheep. It's to kill them, it's to destroy them, it's to eat them, it's to devour them. And Jesus is saying, listen, th this is a good comparison of what life like is going to be like following me. It's sheep among wolves. You are going to go into enemy territory. I am sending you out. Listen, there are going to be hardships. There are going to be people that despise you and hate you. There, there are going to be those who want to devour you and destroy you. Jesus is very honest about this. In fact, let me just give you some highlights of verses we're going to read in just a little bit. Let me give you kind of a walk through these verses of what Jesus describes here. In verse 17, he says, they will deliver you over to the courts. He's talking about the certainty of suffering and persecution. Verse 18, you will be dragged. In verse 19, when they deliver you. In verse 21, brother will deliver brother over to death. In verse 21, children will rise up against parents. Talking about believing parents. Verse 22, you will be hated by all. Verse 23, when they persecute you. Verse 36, a person's enemies will be his own household. Do you follow the pattern here? Jesus is in, is in, 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 in no way uh, just, just kind of uh, flippantly giving them admission without helping them understand the, the seriousness of what he's calling them to. In other words, he's saying, listen, persecution is certain. These are the types of rejection. This is the persecution you're going to face. So let me give you some things to write down, kind of a couple of categories of suffering and persecution that's waiting for us if we say yes to the mission of Jesus. I'll give you a couple of categories that Jesus mentions here. The first is this. You will be uh, persecuted by religion. Followers of Jesus will be persecuted by religion. Look what he says in verse 17. He says, beware of men, beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. In other words, he says, hey, you're going to suffer and it's going to be at the hand of church folk, Right? If you, if you read the New Testament, if you read the, the story of Jesus, it was the religious leaders that constantly caused the issues. If you, if you look at the, 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 the way things went down in the last days of Jesus being handed over to the Roman government, it was religious leaders that were behind it all. If you look at the, the, the book of Acts and you see the suffering and the persecution, if you read about the Christian history in the very first, second, third century, you see a lot of the suffering that Christians experienced were at the hands of religious people. People who would say that they love God. Even today, if you, if you look at, just, just think about what's happened the last several years in Egypt with the, the believers there. Uh, hundreds and thousands of, of believers are being martyred, listen, because they follow Jesus. Muslim extremists are trying to, 
you know, just wipe off the planet many Christians and much of the world that, listen, you and I, we have the privilege of living here, but there are, there's a lot of hostility. Every single day there are men and women giving their life. If you think about just the restrictions in other parts of the world, there are some countries where it is illegal for you to be a Christian. You have to live in hiding and worship underground. You can't openly say that you follow Christ because of the religious system of those, those regions. But it's not just against Christians from like outside the church. Like when you think about other religions and other belief systems. But can I just tell you, 21 years of, of, of pastoral ministry, um, primarily, this is just in my experience, after 21 years of doing this thing in church, the majority of persecution that I've experienced as a follower of Jesus has come from within the church, not outside the church. Like I, I, have, I have experienced, and here's what I've learned. Uh, Christians, religious people, like they like Jesus, but they like Jesus in their little box, right? Like they, they want a nice, neat, safe Jesus with the traditions and the systems that don't really call me out of certain things or, or really push me toward uh, the things that Jesus wants. I just want to play it safe, keep Jesus in my little box. And when you tamper with the box, people get really upset. I'll never forget one, this is not like we talk about Christians dying all over the world, but it is, I remember at another church I, I served at, leading that church into missions in the city of, of really saying we've got to remember that this is not about us and not about our building and not about just the people in the room, but it's about the community that's out there and, and mobilizing our people to serve the homeless. And there's a, there was a transient community uh, kind of in and out of our little town. And so uh, we, we kind of encourage, we're going to go out and feed and serve and love. And I'll never forget, there was one particular, I don't know if you've ever been a part of a church that has like monthly business meetings. I just think that's a really bad idea. Um, but, but we had those, and so I remember there was a, a, a one meeting in particular. I had already scheduled vacation to be gone, and I was about seven hours away, and a couple of the leaders decided, hey, we wanted the business meeting on the Sunday when you're going to be out, and we need you here for that. And so I had to get up uh, and drive seven hours to host a business meeting. In this business meeting, I had a man st stand up, publicly shame me and ridicule me uh, over our efforts and mission, and basically said, um, he referred to the homeless people as those people, and he says, we, he, our pastor wants us to go and serve those people, but he doesn't even give enough consideration to the senior adult population in our church. I mean, and publicly just went on this rant, and I'm standing there in front of the congregation, and not one single person came to the defense of the mission of God. I'll never forget getting in my truck and driving seven hours back, just weeping. Really asking, God, what in the world, why, why in the world is it like this in the church? I'm just trying to be faithful, leading the church toward your mission, and this is the, the treatment. Now listen, that is small in comparison to what the rest of the world is facing. But listen, look at me. If you get serious about Jesus, religious people are going to get very upset with you. You, you start living a life that gets Jesus outside of the box and people are going to get frustrated with you getting him outside of uh, the box. Here's the group number two, persecuted by religion, persecuted by government. Look what he says in verse 18. He says, you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake. 
He says, you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. If you, if you read the stories, you'll understand uh, in the book of Acts that, that oftentimes the religious leaders uh, were, were being drugged, or the, the, the followers of Christ were being drugged by the religious leaders before the Roman government to give an account for their pursuit of Jesus. Paul was oftentimes beaten and whipped by the governing authorities, put into prison and held captive. If you look at church history, the first 300 years of Christianity, you see unbelievable uh, uh, martyrdom and hundreds and thousands of believers being put to death by the Roman Empire. And here's the thing, like even just in recent news, how many of you have ever heard of Compassion International? Anybody heard of Compassion? Compassion, I just got back from a week with Compassion in Honduras, and I'll talk more about this in a minute. It's an unbelievable gospel ministry that literally is stepping into the most impoverished uh, places on the planet, bringing hope and, and food and, and trying to end hunger, education. It was just one of the most transformative ministries I've ever seen that goes into brokenness in order to bring hope and to change the culture and environment. Do you know that because compassion, even though they care for, listen to this, two million kids living in poverty, do you know that passion, compassion has been banned from India in recent years because they refuse to take the name Jesus out of their ministry? Now you, you talk about corrupt. In, in, in India, it is unbelievable the number. There are 115 million children in India living in poverty. But because of the name of Jesus, Compassion International is not welcomed there any longer, even though for years hundreds and thousands of kids were receiving food and education and health care no longer simply because they represent Christ. And our nation, listen, we are growing in hostility against Christianity. And we are seeing at the government level a, a rejection of, of Christianity and, and oppression. And I'm not a prophet, and I'm not going to dare to predict what our future is going to look like. But I'll, I'll tell you this, it's we are moving in a direction toward Christian freedoms being threatened by authorities and by governments. And here, here's the thing. That's not a political thing for me, all right? Here, here's the reality. The answer is not we've got to elect the right person. The answer is we've got to be faithful regardless of who's in charge and who has the authority. Our loyalty is not to a government. Our loyalty is not to a flag. Our loyalty is not to a political structure. And, and our loyalty is not to a country. And I love our country. Our loyalty is to King Jesus. And, and we should pursue Him and follow Him and be faithful to Him regardless of what government does. But listen, government persecution is, is happening all over the world and it is growing and increasing here. Jesus said it's going to happen. We're going to be persecuted by family. This is the next category. Persecuted by family. Look at verse 21. He says, Brother will deliver brother over to death and father his child and children will rise up against parents and put them to death. Listen, following Jesus will lead to division in the home. Many, many of the first century Jews who, who came to profess Jesus as Lord were abandoned by their family. They were rejected by their family because they were walking away from the traditions of Judaism. They were put out of the synagogues. They were kicked out of their homes. They were run out of their communities. And families were driving the way. And the same thing is happening now all over the world. There are parts of our world, listen, that if you, if you profess Christ as Lord, because of the religious structure of, the, of the, 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 the location that you live and because of your family's dedication to that religious structure, 
It will cost you your family and potentially your life. There's a story I read here recently by, uh, about a girl by the name of, uh, I, think her, I think they pronounced it was a kind of a made-up name for her to protect her, but it was Seda. And Seda lived in Indonesia in a community that, that was very much against, I'm sorry, she lived in Central Asia in a community that was very much against Christianity. And um, she was a deaf girl. And through a, a ministry there in uh, Central Asia, she came to know Jesus. And when she went back home and her family discovered, it says that the screams of this deaf girl, deaf girl could be heard by her neighbors who called the police to come um, to intervene. And when they walked in and recognized it was the family that was beating her because she became a follower of Jesus, the authorities said that is a domestic issue that is of no concern to us. And so the family continued to beat her. She spent m many, many days in intensive care, almost lost her life, now is living in hiding and being protected by the Christian community because of her obedience to Jesus. I mean, Jesus warns us that this is going to happen. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10 later on in verse 34. He says, Do not think I have come to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. In other words, now, some of you are like, wait a second, I thought Jesus was the Prince of Peace. He is the Prince of Peace. And listen, here's the great news. Peace is coming. But Jesus understands the nature of discipleship and understands the fact that, that darkness loves darkness better than light. And when light comes in, darkness is going to be hostile toward light. And so he says, listen, it's not that division is the intention of Jesus, but rather the byproduct of Jesus. Is that he's saying, well, listen, this message initially is going to come in and it's not going to unify, it's going to divide because following Jesus demands complete loyalty. Look what he goes on to say, verse 35. He says, for I have come to set man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me and whoever loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Think about the weightiness of what Jesus is saying. And this is why it brings a sword and not peace. That our devotion to Jesus must be higher than, than any devotion that we have in any relationship that we're a part of. So that if you become a follower of Jesus and your family says to you, well, if you're going to become a follower of Jesus, then you're not a part of this family, that our love for Jesus has to be so great that we're willing to walk away from family to follow him. That's serious stuff, is it not? So many of us sacrifice our commitment to Jesus on the altar of relationships, primarily the altar of the relationship of family. I know there are some in this congregation, because of the sect of Christianity they, 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 they grew up in when, when they got older and came to faith in Christ, that, that was no problem to be committed to Jesus. But if you were baptized in His name, you were going to be disassociated with the family And I've met with men and women in my office and talked and seen people step into the waters of baptistry, go publicly with their faith, knowing what it was going to cost them in their home. But this is a part of discipleship. This is the part of the journey of following Jesus, this is, which is why, by the way, for, for those of you who, who, who are not baptized because you're like, I don't want to be in front of crowds, I want you to think about 
the hundreds and thousands of martyrs who died for their faith because they refused not to go public with their faith in Christ through baptism. In the Muslim community, the dividing line, the backbreaker for many followers of Jesus is not reading a Bible or even saying that you are intrigued by Jesus or even say that you want to follow Jesus, but the moment you are baptized in His name, that makes a statement that I, I'm no longer going to live that life of a Muslim. Now I'm going to follow Jesus with everything. That is the backbreaker for many. And they are rejected by their family. Many are put to death. And so just an encouragement to you, if you've given your life to Jesus, but you're kind of like, I'm just, I don't want to be in front of people to, to go public through baptism. I want you to let the testimonies of faithful followers of Jesus all over the world give you the courage needed to say, you know what? Me being insecure, being in front of people is a small thing compared to what Christ has done for me. We will be persecuted by family. We will be persecuted by the rest of society. Look what he says in verse number 22. He says, and you will be hated by, what's the word? Somebody say it with me, by all. Thank you, you are awake for my name's sake. You will be persecuted, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Now listen, when he says all here, he doesn't mean every single person because obviously, right, you know people who embrace you, who love you, who care for you. So here's what he's saying. As a whole, generally in society, all peoples will, will hate you. And if you look at church history, here's what you'll discover. Over the last 2,000 years, followers of Jesus have been rejected and despised and hated and mistreated by all classes, races, and nationalities of people. That, that Jesus is offensive and there is a, a division between Christ's followers and the rest of the world. And oftentimes that division will lead toward hostility. When you get serious about Jesus, when you become a genuine follower of Christ and say, I want to be conformed to his image, here's what's going to happen. Suffering will occur in your life at some level. It looks different for different people. In penal location and circumstances, it might be more extreme than others, but suffering will come. Following Jesus will always cost you something. This is what Paul says. Paul says this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. He says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. In other words, darkness hates light. And whenever you decide to walk in the light, darkness will oppose you. There will be suffering if you're obedient to Jesus. Now listen, so if Paul is saying is true, he says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Here's the question. Are you being persecuted? Is there suffering in your life? Is following Jesus costing you anything? And for many Many Christians, especially in America, the answer is no. Let me tell you why the answer is no. It's because we've adapted and adopted in our culture a, an, an American version of Christianity that really doesn't look like Jesus. It just looks like the world with Jesus tagged on the end. And can I just tell you, the world is not opposed to that type of Christianity. The world will embrace that type of Christianity because it's just an echo of the world's value system. But the moment, listen, you begin to conform to the image of Christ and begin to live like Him, and this is the misunderstanding I think a lot of people have. Well, if I just live like Jesus, love like Jesus, look like Jesus, man, the world's going to love me. No, no, no. Jesus says that's not the case. 
Here's what Jesus says in verse 24 of Matthew 10. He says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is, it is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. He says, no, no, no. A student isn't above the teacher, nor a servant above the master. No, no, you're going to be like the teacher and you're going to be like the master. What does he mean? Here's what he says, verse 25. If they called the master of the house Beelzebub, Satan, how much more will they malign those of his household? In other words, if you become like me, you're going to be treated like I was treated. If you're going to look like me, they're going to be opposed to you like they were opposed to me. If they called me the son of Beelzebub, if they called me the demon, me Satan, then, then what are they going to call you if you're my followers and you look like me? We need to understand that there is going to be a distinct mark between followers of Jesus in the world if we pursue Jesus the way that he calls us to pursue him. The more we look like Jesus, listen, the more we will be rejected by the world. He says, the world will hate you, but listen, just know they hated me first. And they're going to hate you because they hate me. Listen to me, believer. I can't say this emphatically enough. Jesus is not a part of some Ponzi scheme. He is not a late-night infomercial trying to will and deal you into buying something that's not worth the thing that they're selling. In fact, I mean, this is the most terrible sales pitch in the history of ever. Come on, boys, we're going to start a movement. We're going to change the world. It's going to be amazing. And he, you know, so, so he's going to, I would not go the route Jesus went. Here's my message. Hey, we're going to change the world. Follow me and you'll be happy, healthy, and wealthy. And you'll die at a ripe old age and you'll be happy when you do. And it's going to be all awesome. Who's going with me? Man, you could get a crowd that way, right? Here's Jesus. Follow me, it's going to cost you everything. Hey, we're going to change the world, but before you jump on the bandwagon of changing the world, here's what you need to know. You're going to be despised, rejected, hated, persecuted, suffer, and you're going to really be marked in society as an outcast because you belong to me. Who's coming with me? It's like that movie Jerry Maguire, right? Like one person. Here's, here's, I had a pastor say this. He said, we get, last week when I was on this trip... He says, we pastors can be so enamored with big crowds, of drawing big crowds. We've got to get big crowds. We've got to get big crowds. And listen, I want, to, I want big crowds. I want to see a lot of people come to faith in Christ and this church to grow. But he says, interesting to me that Jesus didn't try to grow the crowds. He tried to shrink the crowds. If you go back and read John chapter 8 through chapter 9, here, when, when the crowds were at an all-time high, Jesus ran everyone off. And then looked at the disciples and said, you going too? Why? Because Jesus knew what it was going to cost and what it was going to take to fulfill the mission that he's called us and what it's going to demand from his followers. So he would rather do more with few than do less with more. So Jesus gives this warning. So what do we do with this? Aren't you glad you came to church today, by the way? And I told you before the series started, some of you are going to be like, man, 
God is going to embolden you. And I've heard stories of how God is just strengthening the faith of our people. And I'm so thankful for that. So many of us, and me included, being challenged like crazy. And then there's some of you that are going to continue to sit in the shadows and go, man, I'm not, in, I'm not going to leave, but I'm not going to go there. And then there are going to be some that are going to find other churches or just not go all together because they're not in. And that's fine. But I'm not going to not tell you what Jesus said. We're, we're going to preach the full counsel of God's Word. So what do we do with this? Well, I'm going to give you a couple of statements here. I want you to write down. I want to be very helpful to you. And this is going to come right out of the text here with Jesus. Jesus is very honest, very upfront. What do we do with this? Here's number one. Be courageous. How do I respond to this? Be courageous. Be courageous. Following Jesus isn't always easy. How is that for application? What do I do with suffering? Be courageous. Jesus said it wasn't going to be easy. Look what he says here. I love this. This is going to really attack some of our cliches of American Christianity. Listen to this. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Now listen carefully because this is going to blow some theology out of the water. He doesn't say you will be like sheep among wolves. It's not what he says. Behold, I am sending you as sheep among wolves. In other words, I know the danger involved. I'm sending you anyway. I'm sending you. I know the danger ahead. I know the resistance ahead. I know the hostility before you, and I'm sending you anyway. Jesus is saying, this is going to take courage. Following is not going to be easy, but it is my will that you go into the dangerous places. It is my will that you walk into the, to the, to the, 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 as the sheep of God into enemy territory. Most of us have a play it safe version of Christianity that never demands risk of any type. We think Jesus' main objective is to keep us safe. Can I just break the news to you? Jesus' top priority for you is not your safety. It is his mission. We've heard this cliche before. I've even said this cliche before, and it's partly true, but mostly wrong. The safest place you could be is in the will of God. Can, can I just put, I'm sending you as sheep among wolves. The best place for you to be is in the will of God. But oftentimes, the most dangerous place you will ever be is in the will of God. It takes courage to follow Jesus. I read a story about a husband and wife who felt God calling them to an area of Indo Indonesia that was um, where the Batak tribe was, 100% Muslim territory very hostile uh, tribe. And uh, you talk about sheep among wolves, right? And this couple went into this tribe and began to preach the gospel. Immediately they were captured, beaten, whipped, put to death, and then cannibalized by the tribe. 100% Muslim population, no believers anywhere. A few years later, another couple who knew the story God pressed upon their heart that they too should go to this tribe. 
Imagine that. And they went. And when they got there, they began to preach the gospel, and the tribal leader heard the message, and he recognized it. He says, that sounds just like the message we heard from the other couple. Come in, we want to hear more. That community, that village gave their life to Jesus. Now there are more than three million followers of Christ out of that tribe alone. I thought about this. Now think about this. Without the first set of missionaries, you don't get the success of the second. There had to be a first, right? There had to be somebody to go in and be devoured so that the second group could come in in order for the message to be heard and to transform eternity for over three million people. And I just, I mean, I thought about that story and asked myself the question, number one, would I be willing to be the first? Would I be willing to be the first, knowing I would be the first? Would I be willing to be the first? And even more than that, would I be willing to be the second, knowing what happened to the first? Listen, the mission of God is not about your safety. It is about His glory. And we've got to be courageous. Here's number two. Be wise. Be wise. Following Jesus demands strategic obedience in a hostile world. I want you to listen to what he says next. Verse uh, 16b, he says, so be wise as serpents. In other words, be like a snake. He's not doing this in a negative way. We think about that person's a snake. That's not a good thing, right? He's saying be wise as serpents. Here's what he's saying. You know you're walking into hostile territory, so don't be dumb about it. Be strategic. Go, Go in and be careful, be strategic, be intentional with how you approach people. You can see this with the apostles. You see this as they go into hostile territory, that they're very strategic. They try to follow the, the, the chain of command. And now there are times where boldness is needed and tough things are said and suffering follows that. But, but listen, Jesus is simply saying, he says, don't, don't go in there being just kind of overly confident and being rude and arrogant. Some people, listen, you experience rejection by your coworkers, not because of you're being persecuted, but because you're a jerk. And you lack tact, and you've not built a relationship, and you haven't earned the right to say those things to those people. Be wise. Right now, one of the things we're working on, we're trying to get into the Congo. We're in East Africa. Congo is a bordering nation, large, large, large uh, country there, and uh, it's very hostile, very, very unreached, underreached area. And in Rwanda, we've got to work in Burundi, both neighboring countries, and we, we want to go in and start planting churches, but one of the things we're doing is we know the hostility that's there. So what we're doing is, is we've got some of our uh, Rwandan and Burundian pastors who have access to relationships in the Congo who are now working on going in and out building relationships, laying fertile ground so that some rapport can be established. So eventually when we do go in, is, is it still a risk? Yes. But we're going to be wise. And we're going to make sure that we're, we're taking the right steps. I was in a, a city this last year, last week. Uh, it was the second most dangerous city in the world, in Honduras. In the, yeah, it's the second most dangerous city in the world. One of the highest crime rates um, in the world. Second highest. And the area that we were in with Compassion International, they have a location there set up in this little um, uh, city and it's gang controlled, gang run. So you know what they do? That we were, I was so, felt so safe the whole time I was there. But you know why? Because we worked with the gangs, not against them. 
Several of the gang members now have been reached through this organization. Their kids are being cared for and being loved out of poverty. And the gangs just have rules that you follow and you follow the rules. Everywhere we went, there were what they called watchmen, these gang members that were around watching. And so we just followed the rules and we were welcomed. Why? That's being wise as a serpent. That's being, being, being observant to the surroundings. This is what Jesus means. Number three, be holy. Following Jesus means being in the world, but not of the world. Be holy. He says, be wise as doves, as wise as serpents, and innocent as doves. In other words, be pure, be holy, be blameless. Don't give undue reason for the world to reject you. Have a purity about you as you live in the world. Let there be an innocence and a sincerity as you live out the gospel to the world around you. As you engage the world, suffering will come. But, but don't let that, don't let your Christian witness be invalidated by the life that you live. Be holy. Live righteously. Here's number four. Be dependent. Be dependent. He, following Jesus requires supernatural power. Look what he says in verse 19. He says, they will deliver you over, uh, but do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speaks, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. You hear what he's saying here? There's going to be divine words imparted to you, so you need to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit. So you don't have to go into conversations where you're like, man, I think there's going to be persecution, or man, they're going to hold me accountable, or, or they're going to ask me, give an explanation of your faith in a, in a very uh, an accusatory way, and so I'm going to have this little rehearsed speech that I do that I'm going to give when I get in that moment. He says, no, 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 no. Don't have rehearsed words. Have revealed words. You just walk with the Spirit of God. You just walk in, 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 in the power of the Spirit of God. And when someone challenges your faith, the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you in that moment. He is in no way saying not to be prepared. The idea of what Paul would say is you've got to always be prepared. What does that mean? It means you stay in the Word. You stay on your knees. You stay in tune to what the Spirit is doing in your heart. So in that moment when you're called to give an account for the faith that you have, you are able quickly to let the Spirit of God speak through your life. The reason many of us fail at evangelism is not because we haven't learned enough strategies, because we don't walk and depend upon the Holy Spirit's power. Which is why by the night, by, by tonight, we are having our, our gathering called Beyond. And I just want to say some things to you about this very briefly. This night of prayer and worship that we do once a month, I believe is the lifeline of the power of God of this church. Of us coming together and saying, we want to rally as the body of Christ, call on His name, invite His presence, recognizing that none of this, all of these things that we do as, as church people matters if God's presence is not in our midst. That we need the Holy Spirit to move in our hearts and our lives. It doesn't matter how great the music is or how eloquent the sermon is or how great we are at ministering to kids or how effective we, we serve the community. If we don't see God's presence among us and His power displayed in our midst, then it's meaningless and it's worthless and we've got to find something else to do. And so many of you, you don't come to those gatherings. I'm not trying to shame you into that. I'm just saying to you, tell me about the priorities of your life. We're gathering with the people of God for nothing other than prayer and worship, where anything on your schedule would be more important than that. I'm going to tell you why we don't, 
We're not desperate. That's why. We, you, you begin. Uh, these, all these believers here that walked in this, I promise you they gathered regularly. In fact, you see it through the book of Acts, constantly gathering together, asking God for courage, asking God for boldness, asking God for His strength and power. Why? Because they desperately needed it. The reason prayer meeting around here is a secondary thing for us, and not even maybe not even a secondary, third or fourth priority on the list, is because we're not living faithful enough to need God's power in our life. Number five, be faithful. Be faithful. Following Jesus demands endurance till the end. Look what he says in verse 22. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus is not saying that your endurance produces your salvation. Listen to me. Your endurance evidences your salvation. Those who have never been redeemed eventually will bail. But those who've been transformed by the gospel as the heat turns up, the faithfulness gets stronger. And the commitment grows greater. Revelation 12, 11, we see this described, this persecution, the suffering, and it says, and they overcame him, the enemy, by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, because they did not love their life. In other words, the blood of the Lamb and what He has done in their life and the testimony they proclaimed of who He is calls them to love Him more than their very life. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Are you faithful this morning? Can I encourage you with something just as we have a moment of response Your faithfulness in the midst of suffering is in response to God's faithfulness in the suffering. You hear me say this? Your faithfulness in the suffering to endure is a response to God's faithfulness in your life as you walk through the trials. It starts with his faithfulness, not ours. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Your mother and father, they may reject you, but I won't. Your friends may bail, not me. It's going to cost your life good. I can resurrect the dead. This world is going to be stripped from you. Great, because eternity is yours. Faithful until the end. That is who God is. He will never leave us. I want to do something this morning. I'm going to ask you, if you would, just to stand to your feet. And I want us to stand and then bow our heads, just close our eyes, and we're going to sing just for a moment. And here's my question for you this morning. Is are you willing to follow Jesus even if it costs you safety and security and comfort? Are you willing to follow him into suffering? Maybe this morning you're living in it. There's rejection all around you because of Jesus in your life. And maybe this morning you just want to just 
just sing and worship, asking God to strengthen you in your heart. Others of you, if we were to be honest, you, you live a coward's life. Your king is worthy of your courage. And maybe today you want to repent of playing it safe and not stepping out of the comfort zone. So as we sing just for a moment, let's just ponder this and reflect on the goodness and the faithfulness of God who leads us into suffering, who sustains us in it, and ultimately at the end of the day will deliver us from it. Father, we love you, and I pray now in the name of Jesus we could respond rightly. I hope that you have enjoyed this message. If you have any questions about anything that you have heard today or would like to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, feel free to call our church offices at 903-759-5552 or send us an email at info at nbbctx.org. As for staying up to date with what's going on at New Beginnings, follow us on our social media accounts. Have a great rest of your day.